Hi, and welcome to another edition of Amana Podcast. This is our eighth podcast. Once again, Amana is a collective of people, places, things, and actions that transcend us. And looking at what are your higher virtues or your values, how do they lead you in your life? And how do you, uh, when you get off course, how do you get back on into these value systems? And today we have Melissa Adams. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, Mark. So Melissa and I have been doing some work over the last year, uh, which obviously is an interesting time due to COVID and everything else. Melissa's in Australia. I'm in Ojai, California. So it's um, we've been having conversations around what's been happening here, what's been happening there. Why don't you fill us in a little bit, Melissa, of what your world is and how it's been. <laughs> You've certainly been in a lot of change, both personally and professionally, I would imagine. Um, so give us a little bit of an update on your space and your world and, and what's been happening. Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned, I'm in Australia. I'm in Sydney, Australia. So at the moment, we're in uh, week six of our lockdown due to COVID. Uh, so that's quite interesting in itself um, from both a personal and professional perspective. So it means I have um, a number of staff in my workplace who are all working from home. A lot of them are homeschooling, which is interesting again. Mm. And then from a personal perspective, um, it means that there's a lot of work going on in the home and a lot of work happening remotely utilising things like Zoom and Teams. So it's a really different working environment professionally. And then I guess personally, it's an interesting time for me because uh, I had a baby last year. So she's just eight months. Uh, so that was interesting having a baby during lockdown and COVID. And it's interesting now having a child in this new environment where everyone's working from home. So a lot of change, as you say. You know, often I work with people and we talk about being adaptive. I, I don't think you've had a choice. <laughs> you know, you've 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 been forced. It's been forced upon you on on many on many fronts. Like how how do you adapt? And and what I would say is that you you're doing a great job. You know, from from my standpoint. So um, maybe talk talk to our listeners here about what would be some of your. And let's start professionally for you. Melissa, let's talk about some of the virtues that you look at in your business and professional role and maybe mention what that is so people have some idea of what, what you do for, for a living. Okay, so I am a CMO um, within a superannuation fund. So for people in Australia, that probably means a bit more than people in the US, um, but a 401k, similar. Uh, in Australia, we have funds that manage people's pensions, or they call it superannuation, uh, for when they retire here. So I'm the Chief Marketing Officer for a, a fund that predominantly looks after teachers and those in the education sphere. Um, so look, I'm responsible for all gamuts of marketing, so that's data, digital, communications, public relations, events, media, sponsorship, etc. So uh, quite a big role. There's 13 people in our team. Um, and we do you know, both a lot of innovative marketing, but also a lot of 
day-to-day information, informing people about what's going on with their accounts. But essentially, we're here to, to make sure that people have a good retirement. Uh, and I guess where my personal virtues and what I do in my workplace intersects is that I, I have a very strong value with regards to, to uh, fairness, equality, um, collaboration, purpose, those kind of things. So our membership base within this fund is predominantly female. So in Australia, we're, we're in a position where females have predominantly less superannuation when they retire than men do. Uh, that obviously puts them behind the eight ball with regards to their financial future. Um, the reasons for that are, you know, typical reasons and lifestyle factors, time out of the workplace to have children, maybe they don't get paid as, as much as men do for doing similar roles. So one of the things that we do within the marketing sphere is to try and educate our members as much as we possibly can on how to maximise their retirement uh, savings. And I guess for me, I feel like that's got a, got quite a good purpose and that ties into my personal values of, of equality and fairness and making sure that women aren't disadvantaged any more than men in terms of having a lifestyle after they retire. Yeah, the, thank you for the description and the outlay there. That's really clear. Let's talk a little bit about the equality space um, and how you see it. Let's see where you see things perhaps progressing with equality and maybe regressing as well. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, I mean, it's especially relevant for me because, I've, as I said, I, I now have a child, but I also have a daughter. So I thought a lot about, uh, you know, the Me Too movement and where we are in terms of, uh, of equality, especially with regards to leadership in Australia. We've had quite a lot of uh, headline issues come up in, in politics with regards to you know, sexual assault and quite serious matters like that. So in my mind, I think there's still... A long way to go, um, and I and I think predominantly now there's a shift. It's not just a woman's issue, and it shouldn't be a woman's issue. It's now becoming a, a community and a man's issue because, as far as I'm concerned, you know there is no difference in terms of capabilities. Both people can be responsible for, for child rearing, and I think that's often the, the trigger for the disquality in, in workplace and also in the home. And how, how would you think about where, how could a, a young woman, or it doesn't matter what age, I guess, how, how do you support them in empowering themselves or educating in such a way that they can take care of themselves um, or, or in their communities or family life, uh, in their business roles? Speak to that a little bit for us, Melissa. Yeah, that's a really good question, Mark. I guess that it's twofold. So in one respect, from a perspective, professional perspective, I can talk to the fact that they need to be financially secure. And in Australia, we even had a, a white paper go up to, to Parliament that was called, you know, a, a man is not a financial plan. And the whole premise of that was the fact that, you know, women need to take control of their own finances and they need to understand that, you know, they, they may well be paid less than a man and they may have to take time out of the workforce. So what are the things that they can do um, to make up for that. And there's a lot of simple things you can do within your financial planning and specifically superannuation. And I'm, I'm happy to talk to those in a bit more detail. But then you've also got the, the personal side. And I guess that for me is now become particularly relevant being someone who is doing the juggle of parenthood 
uh, and working. Yes. And I think it's become really clear that uh, you need help and you you can't you can't do it all. You might be able to do it all over a period of time, but you can't do it all at once. Uh, and and I think you it's very hard for women to in some ways accept that. Um, but it is about planning. It is about choice, and it is about you know being realistic about what you can get done and when. One of the things that has been a topic of our discussion um, is taking care of yourself, uh, perhaps first, so you can help take care of others. And these can lead into simple things. I know in America that's become a, a real movement, particularly in the corporate arena, because burnout and stress have become such a become such a topic of awareness, I guess, and and that it's not sustainable for people, uh, particularly with everything that's going on. Talk about how you're taking on taking care of yourself through everything that you have to juggle. Well, I'm learning. I'm learning every day. <laughs> We're all students, right? <laughs> That's right. It's, it's not an easy task. Um, and I think it's, you know, you can have an idea about whether it's nature or nurture, but I think um, without a doubt it, it is a predominantly women's issue about trying to do everything and trying to be the caregiver for everyone. Um, but I think it is really about understanding that concept of you can't take care of other people unless you take care of yourself. Um, and some of the things that you and I have talked about, Mark, seem like they're very hard to schedule in. They seem very foreboding. But when you break it down into small everyday actions, as you were talking about, the simple things and the small steps can make a huge difference. So, you know, the things that we've spoken about, you know, 10 minutes out to do some breathing exercises, um, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but developing a practice like that is something that can really make a difference day-to-day to stress levels and, you know, re-energising yourself. I think you touched on it earlier too, like some of the things that I present, not, not just to yourself, but in, in my work practice is, uh, you know, time management, energy management, looking at your schedule, looking at your priorities, creating goals. How do you break those down into projects? And it's all on a mechanistic scale, it's actually pretty easy to do. Um, you know, putting these things into the calendar and then life seems to show up, right? And it, it's like a, a wind that, that that blows through and it's like how do you hold to your to these things that, you know, where it's easy to let them slide because you would think, well, 10 minutes of breathing isn't that important. I, you know, my baby's crying or the boss mm. is calling or, you um, it's it's like how do you discipline yourself to that when when these other priorities seem to come in real strong? Have you found any any things to that that you're holding to that's helping you that could help others as well? Probably nothing that other people haven't thought about before, but I can share what helps me personally. I think, uh, like anything, it's just about you know the age old Nike adage about you've just got to get in and, and do it. And even if you don't do it well and you don't do it perfectly, uh, the practice of, of trying to do it or thinking about it, it can be just as important. So as you say, if it's if you're aiming for 10 minutes and you only do two minutes uh, and you can't get there, then that is something. And then you, you in incrementally try for more the next day and the next day after. So that's the only thing that, that I 
can add in there and the only thing that seems to work for me and that I'm trying to hone a bit more of. Do you find it empowering or is still at a neutral place? How does it make you feel different or is it still more of a rational, like I, I'm, I'm supposed to do this, I don't know how it's working yet? I think I'm still definitely learning. I haven't mastered uh, or, or opened up the, the possibilities of, of what a practice like that can give you. I mean, it's a in my mind, it's a gateway to things like mm. meditation, yoga, stretching, mindfulness, all of those kind of activities that really are key in terms of centering and focusing yourself and giving yourself energy and time to recuperate. So for me, I think I've just started on that journey, but I can definitely see the possibilities and I can see where it leads. And the more that I do it, the more that I notice that it seems to be a trait of people who are in you know, a very complex, busy lifestyle. That's one of the ways that people use to cope. So I think it's got a lot of research behind it to say it's very valuable. Yeah, I was about to make that that kind of correlation because I see you very much in a leadership role and a leadership role as a woman in Australia. Uh, so it's it's easy to jump into that topic because it's such a big topic, but I, I wanted to kind of start here of like how are you taking care of yourself with, with so much change and, and uh, busyness around you? Um, and then now let's move into that topic of, of leadership, perhaps women's leadership in Australia uh, and where you see it currently, how you're playing a role in that and maybe some people that you look towards and go, wow, they're, they seem to have uh, not not it together. I don't, I don't think that's ever gets together, but they're, they're making a difference. Yeah, so look, I mean, to give some context, I currently sit on executive now with five members and there's only two females of, of that executive. Um, I am fortunate that I have a very um, powerful CEO who is a female who is a very good role model for me. Um, what I see more and more is that even though there is the push for that to change and people speak about it, it's not necessarily how it actually exists and, and how yeah. it actually changes so there's still quite a lot of discrepancy there and as I said there's still the the child rearing is a big factor and mm -hmm. I've noticed looking up to women and looking at how other women have done it the only ones who have been successful are the ones that essentially have someone keeping the the home fires burning so to speak, uh, so it's people who have a lot of care and my view is it doesn't really matter where that additional care comes from, if it's your partner or if it's paid care or another relative, um, but you you can't be doing it all because mm. if you have a big job, it's, you know, it, it doesn't leave much time for anything else. Um, but I think that's got to change and it's also got to change from people's views and perspectives. Um, for example, I only took six months off to have a child now that might not be unusual in America but in Australia it's quite unusual people normally take a year and I did have a lot of questions about well who was going to look after the baby and was that the best thing to be doing etc um, but you know my partner didn't receive any of those questions and mm. in my mind he is just as much of a parent as I am um, because I birthed the child doesn't mean that I have to take on every responsibility for her uh, and she is incredibly well looked after and we have a nanny and I'm very fortunate that we can do that. So I think there's a 
societal shift that needs to happen um, with regards to, to thinking about who has responsibility that will allow women to get more into those positions. And I also think, and we've talked about this too much, there's a lot of uh, traits that are inherently female, and I hate to talk about the gender differences, but I think they do exist. Yes. And I think a lot of the female traits that people have are not seen um, as traits that are looked and, and praised in a leadership role. So, you know, oh, you're too emotional or, um, you know, you're too chatty or those kind of comments that, that follow women. Um, and you can be a very good leader and you can be a very emotional person and you can be a very caring person. So I think there needs to be that shift as well. Just because you have those traits doesn't mean you can't be good in leadership. Yeah, that's good comments, Melissa. I, I think it's, um, you know, in the past, if you will, and let's just make this global, you know, women's leadership, um, often they'll move towards what would be considered more male traits, you know, and uh, I, I think there's, I think the world would be a better place if women, women had more leadership in this world uh, with caring and, the, the, you know, if we, if we were to put it into those traits, you know, the caring and, and understanding um, the things that would be maybe more deemed as the yin, if we took it from the Asian culture. Um, but talk a little about, is there, besides your boss, like I think of the uh, New Zealand Prime Minister, I think we've spoken about before, people that are being very progressive of at this time around what's going on with uh, COVID and government change and societal change. And, you know, we're navigating into some real uncharted waters, you know, with particularly vaccination and people's belief systems around the vaccination or control, you know, people's choices. Uh, are these things forced upon us or do we have a choice still? Um, Maybe if if there's anything showing up in your world around that, if you care to comment. Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is the time to start looking um, at how our leaders are, are handling these issues, and and certainly from my perspective, as you say, I look to someone like Jacinta Ardern and what she's done in New Zealand, and I've, if for me personally, she's a great model role model. I mean, she's a, a working mother. Um, who's managing to run a country and doing a very good job at a very difficult time. Um, and there's a lot of other women in professional roles at the moment. I mean, many of the chief health ministers in each of the states here in Australia are, are females and they're doing a, a fantastic job with a lot that they have on their plate. Um, I think the thing is we just need to see more of it and we just need more exposure. And I, and I think what's come out of a lot of the conversations at the high level and also you know, at, at some of the the more grassroots level is that it needs to become not a women's issue. It needs to become a men's issue and an everybody's issue. Yeah. And, and what, another topic, it's, it's not necessarily changing topics, but another approach here is we've had discussions around youth and education um, and where the education has been in the past and perhaps where it needs to go. I heard a new term this weekend, unschooling. I haven't heard of that term before, how to unschool someone. And I was mm. speaking to a mother who wants to unschool their child. Their, the child is five. So 
essentially my understanding of it was like homeschooling education in a direction of where the interests are rather than being forced into sitting at a table and learning rote memory and and the old traditional ways uh i don't know too much more about that but i what what triggered in my mind um is there's going to be new approaches emerging around how education is going to lead us into the future and <coughs> excuse me so one of the things we've had discussions around is supporting and educating youth particularly around financial security um maybe touch on that comment yeah well i think that uh ties in really well with what we're talking about because a lot of these lessons start really early and if you talk about um empowering women obviously about giving them independence and control and a lot of that independence and control comes from being financially independent so it, these are the lessons that people need to learn early on uh and and yeah as you say we've had these discussions and I've had these discussions more broadly within my business and within my team to say that younger people are not educated around finance um and they're not educated around a high level finance that people need to understand so that you get people who go through their entire life and they don't understand how to maximize their money what compound interest is what the difference is in terms of investing and those things are really important and it's really important to start out when you're really young so um I'm a big advocate of 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 teaching younger people certainly financial literacy and I think as you say the way that that might happen will be very different to the traditional learning methods that we have seen before and so if you were to recommend for a young person or for any person really that's looking for financial literacy education is there somewhere particularly in Australia where you would start to steer them Look, there's a couple of really good sites that we have here in Australia. I think, um, and you know, of course, goes without saying, but if you start with your superannuation fund, they will obviously have all of the fundamentals on their websites to start off with, for example. Um, but then, even through the Australian Taxation Office, there's a site called Smart Money. Even any of those sites will give you a really good basic understanding of how the money markets work. and how you can can make a, a huge difference uh in terms of what you put in there and how you use it and where you end up in the future. Yeah, I think one of the things we've also touched on is you know making it edutainment because finance finance can be a, a you know I have a, a bachelor in international business and I focused in economics and it can be quite a dry topic if I'm just looking at numbers. uh although it's an important topic there's no question about it and how it impacts our lives and our world but if there was edutainment that was attached to it it may be more attractive um in some of your communications uh that you either have done or would like to do is there ways that you see that you could communicate or you see other people communicating that would be more attractive for people Yeah so I think one of the things that we found with our research is that the younger generation um tend to have quite an interest in finance and as you say but not the dry side of it but they're interested in investing they're interested in uh you know bitcoin cryptocurrency those kind yes. of um traits but the the missing piece is they don't understand that um 
they potentially already have this, the foothold in the door. So we've got to take that appetite and use it so that people can understand what they have and what they don't have. So as a pure example, I mean, a lot of the funds and everyone in Australia is invested in the superannuation fund. It's part of our, our law. Um, but part of the funds will invest in those new technologies. So many young people who have an interest in Bitcoin, for example, may already be invested in it just by having superannuation. I know there's a lot of amazing stuff that our fund is doing with regards to reaching carbon neutrality in 2030. Uh, so we're doing a lot of co-investments with some really interesting um, organisations and a lot of charities, which would be really interesting for a lot of young people to know that that's where their money is going to. So I guess it's taking that responsibility and putting two and two together to say, well, you might have an interest in this, but you may already be involved. So it might already just be in front of you. It's a matter of sort of opening opening your eyes a bit more. Yeah. And I do think it starts at the school level. Like I, I don't know for yourself, but you know, my, my I had a public education and I went through school and I think, I don't think I ever got taught how to write a cheque. I think some banker came in and gave me a money box when I was in second grade. I did take commerce. Uh, I did take financial math, but I there was never really a push for it or, um, you know, like the, an importance, I guess, put towards it. You know, it was just more like get through school. So I don't, maybe do, do you have any experience with finance? You, you probably had a different finance, um, educational upbringing, but um, maybe speak to that. You know, it's interesting. Not really. It's a distinct lack within our schools. And mm. what's even more interesting is that we work a lot with teachers. Uh, as I said, we're, we're a superannuation fund for the education sector, and a lot of the teachers would be keen to see it as become part of the curriculum mm. um, and, and it's just not there and even if it's a basic understanding I mean the world is very different people don't don't work in cash anymore you know there's things as you say like writing a check well that doesn't exist anymore so people don't have an understanding of what the new world of, of money looks like um, mm-hmm. and every day that we go on there's more and more investing I mean you just have to look at the GSC and how that came about and, and most people wouldn't even be able to tell you, um, you know, what it means to, to back different stocks and, and how how the crumbling of the mortgage market happened in the US, uh, but yet it impacted millions of people. The world. So, exactly. So, I think that probably there needs to be a basic level of, of education and education is always empowerment. And how would you you deem like influencing, I guess it's got to come from government where those policies would change, but it would come from also people and, and companies standing up and saying, look, this is something that's really important for people to be educated about. How would you deem doing something like that in Australia if you've thought about that? I'm, I, I know that you've thought about it, but if you care to share around some of the ways of how this could move, the movement could happen where people are getting educated, you know, in financial literacy? Well, I think it needs to happen at a grassroots level. So it needs to happen in the mm-hmm. schools when, when children are young, um, but also potentially needs to happen at home. Uh, and right. I think that it doesn't happen at home because I think it, a lot of people don't have the basic understanding of it. 
and they don't really worry about it. I mean, money tends to be something that you not focus on until, and we see that with our membership base, people don't talk about retirement until they're well into their 50s and 60s. So it's, I guess it's that shift um, of making sure that society kind of puts some importance on it. I mean, it puts importance on having it. It just doesn't put importance on how, how to get there and how to un- understand how to get there. So probably twofold, like anything, within the schools and then at home. Um, but the key, I think, as you say, has to be around that education, making it easy and making it interesting. Yeah. And th- now if we were to cross over with virtues into a side of uh, personally and you being a new mum, you're probably already starting to look at, you know, how would I want my daughter to be educated? Uh, where, where do they go to school? What would be good choices, even though she's... <laughs> you know, she's not very old at all. But I think as soon as, um, you know, you start thinking of raising a family, this starts to cross your mind. Maybe speak to that a bit, or, you know, how, how much it has crossed your mind or that you're thinking ahead. Oh, absolutely. It crosses my mind a lot. And I think about the lessons that I want to impart to my daughter. And one of those is obviously to be financially independent. So I think about um, the kind of decisions that she might make and the kind of choices and discussions that, that we might have. And, um, yeah, it's it's hard. It's an interesting topic because uh, the society that we live in now, you know, some of the roles that people enjoy the most don't necessarily pay the most. So what's the, yeah. what's the, what's the payoff there? Do you do something that you really love, which everyone tells you, you know, if you, if you have a job that you love, you don't work a day in your life, or do you have something that pays you well and allows you to have choices? So in my mind, I'm you know getting to a point where I'm trying to formulate something in between. There is got to be compromise in my experience, you know, that not absolutely not to say don't follow your heart. I'm definitely, you know, I educate people on following their heart, but I, I know that there's compromise along the way and what compromises do we make, you know, and sometimes they're financial, sometimes they're time, sometimes it's the, uh, the areas that we don't really care about that we need to put effort into because it's just, it's required. You know, so it's. Um, I think that's part part for the course. Yeah, and there's simple things that you can do. I mean, traditionally, when you look at um, women in the workplace, you know, they they don't ask for pay rises as often as men, and when they do, they lack the confidence to ask for what they want. So there's a lot of those sorts of issues that are small, small incremental things, but they add up over the years. So I guess it's trying to address those issues and impart a level of confidence um, and, and equality through the, the next generation of women so that, um, you know, they can at least do the small things that will help them, them reach the end goal of financial freedom and independence. And let's let's go to an even more macro uh, topic and look at how the global situation is having an impact on Australia at this time. So probably talk from the Australian point of view, how you're seeing it, how seeing it hit society. I mean, as you said, Sydney is in lockdown right now, and I think it is for another, what, four weeks. Um, But also how the economics of the global economics is having an impact, how you see that in the business world, how it's affecting the Australian businesses and corporations. Speak to that a little bit. 
Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, there's other people in, in my business who this is their, their lifeblood. But from what I see, it's been an interesting time. I mean, the market bounced back incredibly so after the first wave of, of COVID, um, which was completely unexpected. But as you say, we're in a second round now, and this has particularly hit Australia quite hard compared to the other, other countries overseas. So we look at um, you know, the USA, we look at the UK and they're out of lockdown with high vaccination rates and, and there's a lot of business as usual. So we are anticipating that the economic impact on Australia, um, once we get out and hopefully when we get out of this next phase will be more significant. Um, I think that what I'm hearing is that after the, the, the first initial round, there were a lot of government incentives in place to look after people this time, not so much. So it's going to take a bit of a hit. The interesting part about Australia and Sydney specifically is that we haven't seen that in the property market. Mm. Um, so that's really quite influential. Uh, so you've got low interest rates, you've got high demand, um, which so far has led to really high prices in the property market, but we don't know what's going to happen after this because we might see a level of people's jobs and income not bouncing back. So it's going to be a really interesting time. And then, of course, from my perspective, the first you know question we get asked from members is then what is the impact of this on the financial market? And, I mean, the short answer to that is that well, internationally will be very different to what's happening domestically. Um, but there is always there is always an impact of of some description when we've got people staying at home and closing their businesses and not working. So I think this time around is going to see more of a financial impact, especially for Australia, than we did last time. Yeah, that's wise response. I, we've we've had a bit of fun of talking about I call it a, a candy show, which is that Lux listing Sydney. Which is, you know, the, the real estate, uh, high-end real estate of the eastern suburbs, and kind of the the, the social norms or abnormality about it all. But it's, it is, it, it. I think it does make a distinct point of how international a lot of the buyers are have been in the high-end market for Australia, which to me is a tell of uh, where the money's trickling down from. You know, it's. Um, you know, it's it's Absolutely. becoming a, a, an international space where people are going. Okay, this is at high value. We're gonna we're gonna purchase it, and it's a real asset. Yeah, I mean, Sydney is becoming more and more of an international city in that respect. Um, you know, so it, it has the impact of locally changing the market and locally changing the demographics on where people live and, and what they can afford, et cetera. But, um, yeah, that was certainly an eye-opener. Uh, and it's not the same across the rest of Australia. So I think that's mm -hmm. something, too, that I've noticed. I'm not actually from Sydney, so I know when people talk about real estate in this city, they come from a very Sydney-centric point of view about, well, you know, the norm is just, you have to stump up 1.5 million for a starter house, yeah. um, but Good that luck. is certainly yeah, that is certainly not the case around the rest of Australia, and for a lot of people, I mean, that would be extreme wealth. 
So it, it's just really interesting to see the dynamics of, of one city. And I think what's happening is it's becoming very much a story of the haves and have nots in this town. Yeah. Um, which is, in my view, disappointing because that's not really what I see as being Australian values. But, you know, that's just the, the way of globalisation, I guess. Yeah, one of the th- I think I don't, I haven't been to Sydney for two and a half years, I want to say. Um, but last time I was there, um, what I did notice is just the the overconstruction I call overconstruction of Sydney, which is making you know traffic issues and timing issues, and just not not the most pleasant place to navigate through. You know, lots of high rise and people living on top of each other, and you know, Australia is a big country, so. Maybe this is a purpose to, uh, you know, spreading out a little more. And, and I think certainly with technologies, that will probably start to occur and that'll have its own effect to Australia and its you know, real estate economy and where and how people live. But let's hope that there's something more affordable for young people who are coming through, you know, and, and in your line of work, how they can save for the future. Um, and, and have that type of financial security that I think a hardworking person deserves, you know. Um, just coming to the end here, Melissa, is there any closing comments that you would like to share with our listeners here? Oh, look, we've covered off a lot, but I think essentially if, if I think about what I'm learning and, and my journey is that, um, a lot of, as we talked about, my personal virtues intersect with what I do at work, which I think is is helpful for me. It gives me purpose in, in what I do. So I am very much about creating equality and fairness when you can and making sure that, um, you know, women end up with good financial outcomes, same kind of outcomes as men. I don't want to see men disadvantaged and women forge ahead. I want to see them yes. uh, equal, equal as possible. But I think um, that's... Part of that is, yes, it's the financial independence, but it's also the other side of life is making sure that you take time for yourself and don't burn yourself out. So I'm learning that that's just as important as making sure that you're succeeding in the workplace, is succeeding in your personal life and succeeding in your own person as well. Yeah, here, here to that. There's a lot to juggle, isn't it? It's like life. I feel like life, at least when I was growing up, seemed simpler, but maybe that's just from a kid's point of view. Uh, it's just, oh, wow. as, as the world speeds up, there's just so many balls to, to, to juggle and so many areas of focus that need attention. Um, you know, I think forgiveness sometimes is, is, our, is, is a real gift because it's, you know, judgment shows up often around, you know, what we do right and what we do wrong or, how we judge that we do right and wrong. So taking, being, uh, forgiving on yourself, I think can be a big lesson within itself of everything that we have to to manage. I absolutely agree. And as my 95-year-old grandmother says to me, I don't know if I'd want to be growing up in your, your world right now. So there's a, there's a point of view of someone who's been on this earth a very long time. Yeah, I have a dear friend who I speak to often. He's 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 not ninety five; he's seventy five. But he, he's expressing this is the hardest time he's seen through his lifetime to live. You know, uh, and I think others are 
starting to feel the pinch or the, the stress too. So it's, it, it is time for how we do take care of ourselves and how do we take care of one another in different ways. I couldn't agree more. So maybe that's a good place to finish. Thank you so much for, for having this conversation with me, Melissa, and I look forward to more. Thank you, Mark. It's been great. Bye for now.